The following sermon audio is from Parkwood Kings Mountain in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. For more information, go to parkwoodkm.org. Good morning. As we have this in our mind, we turn with me to Genesis 1. As we continue in our introduction to a new series, The Gospel in Genesis. I'm going to invite you to keep your seats this morning because we're going to read the whole chapter. And uh, so just imagine with me, and I hope you've had this moment. Uh, Maybe as a child, maybe I hope, my prayer is the first time your parents read this passage to you, the first time you heard it. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetations, plant yielding seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be light in the expanse of heavens to give light upon earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening And there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarms according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, and livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the earth, that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the heaven, and to every bird under the heavens, and to everything that creeps on earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Pray with me. Lord, as we watched that landing so many years ago, we are overwhelmed by your creation, and we are grieved from how far our nation has failed. For if we landed tomorrow, would they dare read from your word? So, Lord, as a nation, as a church, Lord, may we be broken this morning. But then may we be comforted by your sovereignty. That before anything was that was, you had a plan. The eternal living God spoke. So, Lord, we worship you today. We worship you with our mouths. We just sang that you gave us breath. We breathed your air when we were singing. So, Lord, direct us this morning. Oh, God, may we not be filled with questions, but may we look at this text And listen to what you say. So Lord, help us, we pray, as we read from your word. Amen. So as as we had thought, as I I listened to that, of the lunar landing and the paradigm, if you would like to say, of, of America and our nation at that time, and now... As we live in a post-Christian society, and we do, whether you realize it or not, you need to wake up, we do. You know, many times when we come to a book like this, we as the church can be guilty of simply skipping over it. We skip over it because it, it has with it a lot of hard questions like, is Genesis and science actually fighting against each other? Uh, is, is this world, you know... 6,000 years old or 4 billion years old? Is it really 6 24-hour days or is it 6 long periods of time? Um, what's up with the sun being created on the fourth day? You know, why did he do that? How was there evening and morning when the sun wasn't created and the moon wasn't created until later? These questions are hard questions. And so oftentimes what we'll do is just We'll skip over the book or use it as a lesson or begin with Adam and Eve. So how do we, how do we deal with it this morning? And so here's how we're, we're going to deal with it. We're going to begin where Genesis began. We mentioned it last week. We, we are presuming, we are assuming what Genesis did, that God exists. So we are not trying to prove the existence of God. God exists. Love Him or hate Him. Deny him or reject him. You are breathing his air right now. He exists. The Bible doesn't set out to prove him and neither will we. Instead, what Genesis does, and all you have to do here is look at verse 1. Genesis makes God the dominant subject. He is the subject. And if we wish to do justice to the text this morning, we need to begin where the inspired author begins. So, we want to listen to the text. We want to understand, okay, this text was written to Israel. So, so what did the inspired author want them to understand about this text? 
You see the difference when we bring in our secular imposed questions and we begin to study the text to get the questions answered and we never understand that this was an inspired author by God that gave this book to a particular people and we need to know what they were. he wanted them to understand. If not, we will never be able to apply it to our lives correctly. And so this is what we want. There is a theme. There is a goal and I want you to see it. So listen, God sovereignly spoke His good creation into existence with purpose. I want you to see that. This is, this is just comes from listening to the text. And there is a goal, and I hope to develop that and us see that even more fully to teach and to comfort God's people. This was the point of the text. And so we get this introduction in the first couple of verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the Hebrew, we have these two opposing Hebrew words, heaven and earth. We see this often used with alpha and omega and these kinds of things. This is pointing to a totality. Not just the beginning and not just the end. Everything in the middle as well. God God is. And so we, we see here God created heavens and earth. And what, he's, what they mean to say is He created everything. There wasn't anything before God created. He created it all. And so we get this picture of the Spirit of God hovering over what I want you to see is from where it's going it gives us this picture of void, of formlessness, of emptiness, of darkness. And then we discover the good news of a sovereign creator. Turn with me to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah a lot today, so uh, you might want to, when we hit Isaiah the 40 here to start with, just, just maybe mark that. We're going to go over to Isaiah 45 here in a minute, and we're going to spend a lot of time there. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Listen to this good news. And there's a lot we could say here, and in the interest of time, I can't say it. But I want you to see two aspects of God's creation with which creation begins in, God, in the mind and the character of God. Listen, listen for these two. Go, Isaiah 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of the good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His sheep. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Whom has made him understand. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? This is a picture of God. And I want you to see what Isaiah sees, a picture of strength and yet compassion, of sovereign, a hand creating, but also a beneficent God that has compassion and he's creating for a purpose. And so we see some repeated phrases. If we want to turn back to Genesis, we see these repeated phrases, and God said, and God said. We see in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we see, let God, and God said, and there was. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. You see this even more clearly in Hebrews Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Listen. So that what is seen 
was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, creation was by the word of God from nothing. He created from nothing. And then we have this other repeated phrase. It says, and God said, and it was so. So God speaks, it exists from nothing. What God says happens. So I hope you see already, this is, we're starting to see, if you just get rid of the questions for a minute, let's think about this. What, is this. what does this passage say about God? All of a sudden, we start seeing some amazing things about God. And not only that, we realize that all of Scripture, all of Scripture sets on the creation. Psalms 33, Psalms 33, verse 6. Psalms 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Now look down at verse 9, Psalms 33, verse 9. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. And I want you to see this through the creation account. That everything God created and every command he gives to inanimate objects, they obey it. They embrace their purpose. They do what they're told. Creation from nothing and that which he creates, he gives them purpose. He gives them responsibilities. He creates. Nature obeys. But he, cre he doesn't create randomly. God is making order out of chaos. He creates from chaos to cosmos. God creating order, and so he creates it purposefully. I want you, and we probably won't, wouldn't notice this. Hebrews would. Numbers are significant in the Bible. And in creation, the narrator here intentionally puts in sevens and tens into, this, into these numbers. And he really likes sevens and multiples of sevens. And he did that for a purpose. Now, if we were Jewish people, if we were the Hebrews, this would mean far more than it does for us because it doesn't, we're, we're, we don't have that culture. But for them, seven was perfection. When they heard these multiples of seven, they know the author's trying to teach me something here. And so we have these multiples of seven, which is perfection. We have multiples of ten, which is fullness. And think about this. God said is in there ten times. Seven times God says it was good. Twenty-one times he said heaven is good. Twenty-one times he said earth, the heavens and the earth. And 35 times Elohim is used. And so there's a, there's a even by the language, even by the way it was written, he's teaching. There's, there's a perfection that's coming. God's going to form something and then he's going to fill it. So this is the way we're going to break it up into two triads. Days 1 through 3, and days 4 through 6. So days 1 through 3, he brings order to formlessness. Remember, there was nothing. Don't you feel sorry for the guy that had to try to write down what nothing is, you know? How do you describe nothing? It's nothing. So, so the first three days was forming. There was separation going on. You need to see that. In day 1, we, we see light. God separates and limits the darkness. Look at verse 4. And God saw the light was good, and God separated. Just have that in your mind. God separated the light from the darkness. I have this picture of separation. It made me think of Exodus, I think it's chapter 10. You remember they were in captive in Egypt, and Moses said, let my people go. And you, know, you remember the story. And so he brought these plagues, and about the ninth plagues, darkness came in, but there was a separation in the darkness. The Egyptians were in darkness, but the Jewish people lived in light. There was a separation. This is the sovereign God creating light, separating it. And throughout Scripture, from this point, we get this picture of light representing righteousness, holiness, purity, darkness representing evil. Why do, why do criminals act in dark? Because they love evil. They don't want to be seen. With light comes light. And so turn with me to Isaiah 45, verse 7. Now you want to mark Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah several times. And, I want, and what I want you to do is ask yourself the question when we turn to Isaiah 45, 7. 
Why does Isaiah keep talking about creation? Why does he keep pointing back to that? I want you to see that as the sermon unfolds. Isaiah 45, verse 7. This is God speaking. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is not the author of sin. Don't get that wrong. God created everything. I want you to see that God's separating and God's also restraining. If God would not be restraining hands of evil right now, you would be dead. God's sovereign grace and mercy is on us as we sit here enjoying Him. So God is the ultimate source of light. And so this is, all of a sudden we start getting these contrasts, and you've got to see it from the original from the original people who was receiving this, he's saying, God is the source of light, not some pagan deity. And so it's intentional. So rather than pointing the question, let's say it this way, God intentionally created light before he created the sun. And at the end of this thing, Revelation says, there will be no need of the sun because God is light. Christ is our light. He does not need the Son. The Son needed Him. This is a picture. This is, this is just a text that's jumping off the page. Isaiah 45. Look down at verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. Listen to this. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. So in day two, God creates the firmament. He creates the water. So what God's doing here is creating the atmosphere. Water's above, water's below. Atmosphere in the middle. And we begin to see, why did there need to be an atmosphere? God has a plan. He's forming. He's separating. He's separating the waters. Gets to the end of this day and He doesn't call it good. Hold that thought. Day three, what does he do? He separates again. So now the waters that are below, he separates them, creating land. And the word land here is important because it's pointing us towards that benevolent God that he created land for human life, created atmosphere. Now he creates land, and he no more gets through with creating land, and he begins to feel what he's formed. So he forms it. He creates it. He separates it. And in verse 11 in Genesis, we see, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, and plants yielding seeds, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. All of these words are important. So he, he commands... He commands the dirt, produce vegetation. And he produced it with seeds. In other words, fertility. It's not in the hands of some little God that you have to give food to make him happy so your plants will grow or that so you'll have children. Fertility is designed by God. It was ordained as part of His created order to be self-perpetuating. It was a process created and ordained by God. And it was not. This is what He's teaching the Jewish people. It was not given to some little God that you have to run and try to please. God created it. He ordained it. And He tells the ground to produce it. And it obeys. So we see this majestic, by the Word of God, these things are happening. God's separating God's now feeling. And in verse 10 and verse 12, when the land appears, God said, this is good. When vegetation appears, He said, this is good. So good suggests more than God is simply sitting back and enjoying what He created. Although there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, God puts that in us to sit back and enjoy what He enables us to do. But what he's saying is that everything is operating according to his purpose. I created it. 
I've given his purpose, and everything is not functioning according to his purpose. So then day four comes, and we begin to see fullness replacing emptiness. God has brought order out of chaos, light out of darkness, created an atmosphere, brought land, produced vegetation that self-perpetuates itself. And now day four comes. This day four is important in understanding what he's teaching the Jewish people here. Because day four, the light bearers are brought onto the scene. God's already created light. But here now, the sun, the moon, and the stars comes in the picture. Verse 16, God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Notice this, and the stars. See that? Every time I read it, I can't hardly but chuckle. And the stars. Isaiah 45, 12, I made the heavens, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hand that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded their host. This is what he's saying. So God not only creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, but he gives them their purpose. He's already created the light. So you got to picture this. God creates the sun. He's already created the light, and he gives the sun its purpose. This is what he's showing the people. The sun and the moon and the stars were created by God, and they serve his purposes, which is to serve us. We do not serve them. They serve us by God ordained. He doesn't even call them sun and moon. He simply calls them greater and lesser. Why is he doing that? Because all around the Jewish people were people who worshipped one of the primary deity, which was the sun. They were worshipping these things. And he puts them on the fourth day. He created the light. He creates the waters. He separates. He brings land. He puts vegetation on it. And then he says, by the way, I created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And I told them to take care of the light. I gave them their jobs, and now they're doing it. This is the picture. And he mentions the stars as almost an aside. Did you see the picture there that they were taking of the stars? I googled this, so I know it's true. <laughs> there are about 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The number of stars in the galaxies varies, but they're just assuming there's about 100 billion stars per galaxy. It means that there are one billion trillion stars in the observable universe, and God mentions them as an aside. Oh, yeah, the stars. I did that. <laughs> Don't miss the gospel connection here. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Look down at verse 6. For God who, has, who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the picture Listen, if you don't understand what your sovereign God did in the creation, that will not mean as much to you. Your salvation will be diminished until you see the glory of His sovereign grace. And He showed it in creation. So day five comes. Don't miss this. Before we leave this, we do not cause light. We bear it. We bear light. We bear what God gives us. As the sun simply bears what God gives them, so do you. We bear it. In day five, we see something amazing. You've got to put this thing together. So day five, God fills the ocean and the sky. He fills it. So day two, he formed it. Day five, he filled it. You see the order. Day two, formed, separated. Day five, I filled it. Back to Isaiah 45, 18 says, He established it. He did not create it empty. 
He formed it in order to be, for it to be inhabited. And so he fills it so it will be inhabited. And then God blesses it and commands multiplication. And it was so. God blesses them. He tells them to multiply. And they did. And then day six come the land animals. So the oceans were filled. The sky was filled. And now he creates land animals. So day three, the land is formed. Day six, the land is filled. This created order. God then creating them and then gives them the same blessing and the same command that he's did. But notice this. This is distinct. With both the ocean animals, the, the, the sky animals, the birds, and then the land animals, he creates each according to their kind, each according to their species. And he says it clearly, over and over. The implication is clear here. What God has distinguished and created distinct, man ought not to confuse. The Creator ordained it, He decreed it, and we accept this decree. But it is distinct from the next as, as the narrator slows down because He created man distinct in His image. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be created male and female and as we get into chapter 2. So we're going, to, we're going to hone ourselves in here the best we can here. But I want you to see just a couple of things about the Imago Dei, about the image of God. Because here, the narrator slows his pace. I mean, he's been moving along at a pretty good clip. These amazing things, he's just saying this happened. And here, he lets us, as it would, lean over and peer into the courtroom of heaven. Where all this has been emanated now we see let us it says not just god said it says then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness so there's a conversation going on i'm not going to get into that right now but but notice this is distinct he means for it to be distinct and what does he mean let us make man in our image well this meant more to you i've i've heard Shanna, where's she at? I've heard her teaching, the, teaching, the, teaching our kids about Nebuchadnezzar and the different things that went on in the Old Testament. Well, what would happen here if the king would have a domain? It's where his rule and reign was. What does he do? He puts his image, whether it's in pieces of gold or something, he, he sends it all over his domain. That way, everywhere you know, it's like, mm, this is Nebuchadnezzar's domain. This is the king. This is Cyrus's domain. <coughs> So it is in creation that God puts His image on man. So don't miss this this morning. <laughs> you see, the Babylonian gods made humans their slaves. In the New Covenant, God makes us His children and He makes us kingdom of priests. There's a difference. There's a difference for the old, in the Old Testament. There's a difference in the, in the New Testament. And so I want you to see this. From the beginning, the very essence of the Imago Dei is that we are God's representatives. And remember, we talked about that in 2 Corinthians, that when God makes us new creations in Christ, He tells us, you're my ambassador. But listen, that was part of the created order. Before there was, in Genesis 1, there is no need for the Messiah Savior because there is no brokenness. There is a perfect creation that is functioning according perfectly as God created it. And God created us in that situation as His representatives. We represent Him. In other words, to be human is to bear the image of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, to be human. If you are human today, you bear His image. He put you on here to represent Him. And God made us distinct and He made us for a purpose. We are not animals. He made us distinct from the animals. The passage is clearly, the text shows that human life was set apart in relation to God. He stamps His image on us to approve it. We are distinct. We are made. And so He gives us this clear picture in verses 24 to verses 
31. He shows us a divine plan, a divine pattern, and divine purpose. He says, let us make man. That's the plan. A divine pattern in our image. A divine purpose. Let him have dominion. God makes us for a purpose. He makes us in a plan. He sets the pattern. And then he blesses what he makes. And he does it in two ways. His multiplication. In other words, and we believe it so well as part of our four core doctrines as a church, that for child, childbirth is an act of worship. Children are not obligations. They're not simply something that we must do. It's something that God lets us be a part of because we get to be a part of the sharing of life. New life comes into the world. How dare we touch it? We simply sit back and enjoy. God lets us be a part of it. He creates life, and He ordains that in marriage we get to be a part of this act of worship to see God bring life. He brings life, and notice this. He does not say when He created humans that He created us according to our kinds. He didn't use that terminology. He used the terminology with animals, but with us, he sets the gender. He said, I created them male and female. Sexuality, your sexuality, your gender is distinct aspect of creation. It is part of the created order. God sets it. I created man. All men are created Equal. That was the purpose of that. But we are created male and female. And then we are created for a purpose. Notice, dominion. This is what he says. He said, I created you for a purpose. What is that purpose? That everything that I created, everything that I speak is created and then entrusted to you. You have dominion over this. You have rule over this. Unless we think that gives us the right to act like spoiled children who's been handed too much too quickly. Don't forget that we are His representatives. This is the only way you can put that intention. God sets us and puts all this in our responsibility. And, and so with the proper view of responsibility is weight. You should feel the weight. God has given us a responsibility to exercise stewardship over His beautiful creation. In other words, our dominion should mirror God's actions in Genesis 1. That's what that looks like. So then there was good news. Good news of a sovereign creator and good news of a good creation. God uses this word intentionally, the narrator, over and over and over again. There's a good creation. He created light in verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. He created land, good, vegetation, good, sun, moon, and stars, good, ocean life and birds, good, land animals, good, and then created us. And the final analysis that God looks at all that He's created, He looks at He's created man, and He's given us the responsibility to manage all this that He has created. And He said, it's very good. I felt the tension of that. We used to go to Romania a lot and... And we used to have struggle. Christina would sing a lot. And I remember had good. And we used all these words to describe how, what good is. You know, magnificent, awesome. You know, all these words. And she's really good with adjectives. And, uh, but in their language, they only had good and very good. <laughs> I don't know if this is what's going on here in this language. But in their language, you know, no matter how good you did, the best you could ever get is very good. You know. So I just picture God sitting back of all that he created and that everything at that point is functioning exactly as the way he intended to be. So what's the author trying to teach God's people? If you still have Isaiah 45 marked, and this just smacked me in the head this week. Isaiah 45. Look, look at verse 4. So you remember all that we've been saying about how God is speaking about all that He's creating. This verse has a context. And if the top of your 
Isaiah 45, it says Cyrus, God's instrument. There's, the, there's your context. Cyrus was the Persian king. Cyrus would be the one who would rule over God's people. And here, look what he says in verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you, he's talking to Cyrus, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other God besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. Here's the point. How was God's people to get comfort in the midst of their captivity? Isaiah calls them to go back to the beginning and said, because your God is sovereign, that's why you trust Him. Cyrus is no one more than who God has raised up to do according to His will. This is what gives them comfort. This is what God wants us to, them to see and what He wants us to see. He wants to teach Israel and so He wants to teach us that God is a sovereign King. And the passages in Psalm and these passages in Isaiah will never comfort you the way God meant for them to comfort you if you are not loving and adoring to God's sovereignty. If you are pushing against it because you want to be sovereign, you'll never taste the sweetness of God's sovereign grace. They were pagan gods and they're all vying for our responsibilities. And God says, no, you don't trust in the sun. You don't get up in the morning and read your horoscope. God created the stars. He tells them what to do. He sustains them. They do not sustain us. They serve us because they do what God's told them to do. They do not depict our future. They do not make our crops grow. They do not make us have children or not have children. That is God's. And He tells this to God's people to comfort them. There is one that you put your hope and trust in. And his name is Yahweh. And we all have fears of the unknown. Hurricanes, cancer, death, death of our families. And so he looks around, he looks down in God's people and he tells them, don't you trust in all these gods around here, don't you... Don't you trust in the fact that right now the Babylonians have taken you and the Persians are going to take you, the Greeks are going to take you, the Romans are going to take you. You trust in me. I'm the one who ordains these things. They don't get through my sifting hands. I restrain the oceans from falling on you right now. The waters, the atmosphere is sustained by me and I will sustain you. And so when we read verses in Matthew 6 that tells us to pray a certain way, he tells us, to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you will not pray that if you do not trust in God's sovereign will. And if we do not pray that way, then Matthew 6.26 will not work because we will not look at the birds and say, if my God will take care of them, I know that He will take care of me because I bear His image. So in Hebrews verses 2 and 3, it says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And listen, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power and making purifications for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I want you to see this this morning. The point of Genesis is not chronology, but comfort. It's comfort. It's comfort for God's people. And if you are in Christ, you are His people. So is it comforting you today? Me and Christina had one of those moments this weekend. That she visited a place, and you, never, you ever visited a place you, you, you lived or was there many years ago and maybe a younger and a whole lot dumber days. <laughs> Nobody else has, has those memories, do we? And she called me from there and we just had a moment. You see, this is why I taught you the other day. God forgives your sins, but He never tells you to forget them. Why? Because in that moment, we remembered 
God's sovereign mercy in our life. Why did he not, why did he put up with this back then? I don't know. I don't know. It was his sovereign grace and his sovereign mercy that comforted us by seeing God kept me. He kept me. He kept us. He kept us together. He kept us in him. And he has blessed us in spite of ourselves. This is God. This is how he wants to comfort you. And he could comfort you no better way than by saying in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And so God sent the word. And he took on flesh. And he dwelt among us. And he lived your life. He died your death. And he rose again. That if you put your faith and hope and trust in him, we can owe him. We can love him. And we do not spend the rest of our days swimming in our yesterdays or worrying about our tomorrows. This is what God does. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. God holds it all together. Christ. This is Christ. Christ is the creator. This is what Colossians wants us to see. He created all things. He sustains all things. This is what Christ did. He is our sovereign sustainer. So our response now, our response now is I call you to remember. We have come to the table. And we come to the table to remember. To remember our sovereign Savior came. And our sovereign Savior lived. And our sovereign Savior suffered. And He died. And He rose again. And now God calls us to remember the sacrifice of His Son. So Lord, as we come now, we have with our finite minds beheld Your Majesty. Your sovereign, creative hand willing things and it happened, ordaining things and it was accomplished, purposing things and it came to be. And that overwhelms us. Lord, as that passage in Isaiah says, though you create and sustain all things, yet you scoop us up in your arms and pull us close. Who has known anyone who compared to you? There is no one. There was no one who is all sovereign and all benevolent but you. So Lord, we come now to remember. Isaiah 53, 1-4 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground and he had no form or majesty that we should look at him no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So brothers and sisters, I invite you to the table. I invite you to remember. I invite you to fellowship. I invite you to reflect on God's mercy on your life. So who comes to the table? We practice open communion here. All those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ alone for their salvation is invited to the table. But listen to me. If you are not in Christ, do not take the table. Parents, this is not a time to teach your kids by letting them partake. This is a time to teach their, your kids by letting them watch. Let them reflect on a celebration, a fellowship, and a remembering of all that Christ is and all that He accomplished. Christ, Paul, rather warns us in Corinthians of partaking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And so we come now.
to a time of confession. We can only come to this time because of the sacrifice of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 14, it says, Since, we, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Let us go to our Savior and our God and get our hearts and our minds and our lives right with Him so that we may partake and enjoy Him. Pray with me. Lord, we are saved by grace alone. Lord, we are saved by faith alone. And that faith that you give us as a gift. And so, Lord, we are only saved by grace through faith because of Christ and Him alone. And so, Lord, we come to you as your children, saying we don't want anything to be in the way between us and you. And, Lord, we, so we just claim not our works, not anything I've done this week, but we claim the blood of Christ. The blood that forgives us then cleanses us now and will cleanse us forevermore. And so, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Write our minds towards you. We pray. Isaiah 53, verse 5 continues, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So now we come to the table to remember the bread. The bread represents God's body. God's body that was crushed for us. Our iniquities, our sin, our shame, our guilt was placed on Him. So brothers, serve the tables.